Ambassador Podcast, a resource created by a community of Christians seeking to represent God to a watching world in humility, unity, and boldness. Our goal is to educate, be educated, encourage, be encouraged, challenge, and be challenged as we pursue a heavenward perspective of God's heart for racial equity and reconciliation rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Ambassador Podcast, and thank you for joining us for our very first interview of Season 2. I am your host, Jared Cole, and I'm here with my co-host, Miss Tracy Spears. What's good? Hey, guys. Yeah, man, this is, uh, uh, by the time this episode comes out, uh, we'll be halfway through Black History Month. Yeah, that's wild. Um, man, and I feel like the year we've had in, in 2020 and uh, thinking towards 2021 now and the Black History Month this year, I, I think it's going to hit a little bit different I hope than so. it has in the past. And so for our listeners, maybe you've, maybe you've never acknowledged Black History Month before. Maybe you've never done anything to commemorate or celebrate Black History Month. And if that's you... Uh, I want to encourage you guys to maybe find some time to pick out a book, maybe a biography or an autobiography, or maybe watch a film. If you go to our website, uh, www.weareambassador.com, we have a resources tab. You can go there and, and you can find books, find a book to pick out, buy that thing and read it. There's uh, videos, there's films, there's movies. Go ahead and, and pick out a film. Grab your family, grab your kids, sit down and watch a film uh, on a powerful and influential leader from black history. Uh, or maybe even look up some black-owned businesses in your, in, your, in, in, your, in, your, in your town. I know there's quite a few here. You can go uh, to some beauty salons. You can go to beauty shops. You can go down to Des Moines to uh, uh, Black and Bold Coffee. Uh, so if you are looking for something, it's a quick Google search away. Go ahead and do that um, uh, and support your neighbors around your area. And so if this is your first time tuning into the ambassador, what you can expect from us is biblically informed, honest dialogue and open conversation. What we're trying to do here is we aim to create a space where tough conversations are the norm and where we can come together in humility, unity and boldness. And so without further ado, I want to jump right into this interview, man, the very first interview of this season. I'm really looking forward to this. On today's episode, we have uh, Pastor Derwin Gray, who was the founding pastor of Transformation Church out in South Carolina. Pastor Gray has been a, uh, on my end, at least a distant mentor and uh, the way that he's taught and he's led and he's held conferences and wrote books. Uh, they've benefited me greatly. And honestly, I owe almost everything I know, love and have confidence in about the multi-ethnic church uh, to him and his ministry. So Pastor Gray, man, it's great to have you on the podcast. Hey, thank you so much. It's an honor and privilege to be on the podcast. And uh, this past 
summer, my family and I were taking our son to college at the University of Montana, and um, mm-hmm. he he speaks German. Yeah. So he found oh. out about the Amana colonies in Iowa. And because it was founded by Germans. And so we went there, hung out. He got to speak a little bit of German. But but one of the cool things was uh, uh, Iowa was like, kind of pretty. We were like, man, we've been sleeping on Iowa. I don't know if it was just the the rows and rows of cornfields or what? I've never heard someone say that. I know. We, we actually were like surprised. Like, man, we've been sleeping on Iowa. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody refer to Iowa as pretty, especially in terms of referring to the cornfields, you know, I'm trying to tell you, man, it was like, (laughs) we were like, man, Iowa, Oh, that's funny. That's funny, <laughs> man. And we got we got outsiders loving Iowa. I think we made it, Tracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duran, you want to move uh, to Iowa? No, I'll come back. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll take it. Uh, so we'll just get started, Derwin. For some of our listeners that don't know you, can you give us a little bit more insight about who you are, when you became a believer, and just where you're at now? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm Vicky's husband. Uh, I've known her since I was 18. We met my freshman year in college in 1990. We've been married 28 years. It'll be 29 years uh, on May 23rd. I've got a daughter, Presley, that's 24, a son, Jeremiah, that's 20. We co-founded Transformation Church February 7th, 2010. Neither my wife nor I grew up in the church. I grew up in a hood in San Antonio, Texas. She grew up in uh uh, rural Montana, where they didn't even have a stoplight. Um, both yeah, of us yeah. uh, went to Brigham Young University. So here I am, uh, a brother from. Yeah, man, I, I'm uh, I'm from the hood in San Antonio. She's a white girl from the mountains of Montana. Both of us were <laughs> non Mormon. We were none saved. Mm. And we wow, got wow. like, like we literally got married in college. Now you got to understand this. The mm-hmm. first wedding I went to was my own. So, wow. So yeah. Uh. At, 20, at 21 years of age, end of my junior year, we got married. So I had no ideas or thoughts to, um, get married or fall in love. My, yeah. my whole thing was I'm escaping the hood. I'm getting a degree mm-hmm. and I'm going to the NFL and mm-hmm. so she wasn't a believer. I wasn't a believer. Uh, she she was valedictorian in high school, valedictorian in college. So both of us were high level performers. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, we make it to the NFL. She's crushing it at her job. I'm doing well in the league. Mm-hmm. And after three years in the NFL, for me, it was like there's got to be more to life than this. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like like okay, so. I've got the money, I've got the fame, but the money did not fix my family back in Texas Mm -hmm. the way I thought it would. It actually made things worse. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was was never enough. The cars Mm -hmm. that I bought were never nice enough. You need to be doing more. Um, I dealt with uh, unforgiveness towards people in my family that hurt me. I knew Mm -hmm. I needed forgiveness. I didn't know how to love my wife. Mm -hmm. Um, I also knew that the NFL stands for not for long. Mm. And and that terrified me because my whole entire identity Mm -hmm. was built on what I had accomplished. Yeah. What happens when you can't do that anymore? 
That's right. Mm-hmm. And so um, God used all of that existential crisis, moral mm. brokenness, anger, unforgiveness. And I had a teammate whose nickname was literally the naked preacher because every day after practice, <laughs> you know, seriously, every day after practice, he would take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist. And he would go to my teammates and say, do you know Jesus? And in my mind, I'm like, bro, do you know you have naked? <laughs> and so the naked preacher, you know, we, we built a five-year relationship. And the combination of all this stuff that was happening, the lack yeah. of satisfaction, the need for forgiveness, the fear of failure, mm-hmm. um, the idea that my whole life is built on what I do. Yep. When, when I heard grace mm. that no, no, God has seen your life mm. and no, you're not good enough, but because yeah. he loves you, Jesus becomes your Say good that. enough. Say that. Yeah. That's the gospel. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus assumes and becomes all that you could never be so that That's you right. can become who he's created you to be. Mm-hmm. And on August 2nd, 1997, I came to faith. My wife came to faith about six months before I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the blessings of not growing up in the church, we didn't have a lot of baggage. So we just, we just grabbed the word and start reading it. Mm-hmm. And the more we fell in love with Jesus, we wanted others to fall in love with him as well. We started a nonprofit ministry. She would organize. I would travel and speak. And after about five years of doing that, we recognized like, yo, when we used to be up in the club, dropping it like it's hot, <laughs> it, was, it was like diverse. It was diverse. Yeah. But, but yeah. there's more racism in Jesus's club and segregation oh. in the nightclub. Yeah, yeah, we were, yeah. We were, we were like, wait, wait, wait. Our friends are different <laughs> ethnicities, but you come to Jesus's club and it's divided along ethnicity and politics. Mm. And I was like, wait a second. When we read the Bible, I see where it says Jew and Gentile. Gentile was everybody else other than Jews, that the early church was a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus because only Jesus could make enemies, friends, and foes family. Only right. Jesus forgives sins and gives you a family of different colored skins. And he does this because his father in Genesis 12 made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham, through you, all the families on the earth are going to be blessed. The blessing is receiving Christ and entering into this family. So yeah. red, black, black, white, yellow, green, whatever your ethnicity, preach, preach. Jesus presents us as a gift to his father to say, Here's the family that you promised Abraham. And this family learns to love each other, to bear witness to his glory. So that wasn't happening. And so God was like, well, what y'all going to do then? Mm -hmm. And so uh, we planted Transformation Church and God has blessed us immensely. Man, and he has blessed you immensely. And I think he's blessed. countless others through your ministry, man. Like mm-hmm. just the, the passion that God's giving you uh, just oozes out of you, brother. And I, I'm so, so, so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And and one of the ways that uh, this, the spirit manifests that through you is through this conference that you put on uh, twice a year called the HD leader conference. Can you talk a little bit about that, how that uh, came to be and kind of what your, uh, 
what's your what's your goal in having that conference every year? Yeah. So basically, what happened was. Um, the the Lord just blew the doors off of Transformation Church. Our first service, 701, 701 people came. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're about at 7,000 now. And yeah. it, it was just utterly incredible. And so people kept calling us saying, well, how do you develop a multi-ethnic church? And I just couldn't mm-hmm. answer all the calls. And so I ended up writing a book called The High Definition Leader, Building multi-ethnic churches in a multi-ethnic world, which, by the way, is being updated and the title is going to be changed to Building a Multi-Ethnic Church, Mm. a Gospel Vision for Love, Grace, and Reconciliation in a Divided World. And so the book is going to be even better now. But the purpose in writing the book and developing the round table was to put and to equip leaders, pastors, ministry leaders, and inform lay people. This multi-ethnic church is not a model. Mm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. That's good. No, no. This is God's heartbeat that when the demographics are available, mm-hmm. this is what you do in response to the gospel. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that we wanted to do was create a form to give people the theology and the practices. But even more than that is this. Mm-hmm. You cannot your church cannot become what you're not. Mm. That's so good. That's really good. And so you can't live a, you can't plant a multi-ethnic church unless you live in a multi-ethnic life. Yeah. And yeah that's right. this, this oozes out of, of us because of what Christ has, has done. And, and so we want to be a part of raising up a generation that it becomes normal that, that 50, 60 years from now, mm-hmm. it's normal for churches to be multi-ethnic because of the gospel. Yeah. That's yeah. good. That we don't even have to use multi-ethnic. The word Paul used was ecclesia. For the early church, the ecclesia was Jew-Gentile. And and my prayer is that from now on, when we say church, that we mean a multi-ethnic family rooted in the blood of Christ. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And so you you speak about that in, in... uh, the helpful aspect to the multi-ethnic church is there, there, there's a natural component to it, right? You just said it. If you can't have a, a multi-ethnic church or lead a multi-ethnic church if you're not living a multi-ethnic life. But I also imagine, I know this to be true, that there's some intentionality factor to it too. Can you can you speak into that? Like what, where does the intentionality factor come in and what does that look like in terms of leading the church, like transformation? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, so... Before I answer that question, uh, I want to talk to uh, my white brothers and sisters that are listening. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that I, that I want to say is, is, is we love you. Uh, we are in the same family. But here's mm-hmm. some things that you have to understand. Number one is this, is that there's a difference between assimilation and accommodation. Yeah. Assimilation means this. Bring your color, but we don't want your culture. We don't want your influence. Accommodation means we want all of who you are to make us better. Yeah, yeah. And so even within the multi-ethnic church movement, and I present this information in the updated version, building a multi-ethnic church, is that 
uh, nearly 80% of multi-ethnic churches in America are led by white men. The staff are overwhelmingly white and the congregations mm-hmm. are diverse. Mm-hmm. And so issues of racial justice, um, those types of things are really not even discussed. And so that's why you have the mass exodus of blacks leaving majority culture churches because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you don't care about our concerns. You just want to point to our color. Yeah. And so you have to move beyond assimilation to actual accommodation that yeah. leadership has to be a shared, inclusive leadership. That's so right. what I'm finding is sometimes for white brothers and sisters, when they say, hey, we want to be diverse, what they mean is we want your color, but not your influence or your culture. And yeah. a true multi-ethnic church is one in which we embrace our color and culture, because like a multifaceted diamond, um, different ways you angle it, you have a different aspect of its glory. And so God knows what he's doing. He doesn't want us to be colorblind, but colorblessed. Colorblessed. Amen. Man. Derwin, when you say that, I just want to press in a little bit on an aspect of what you're highlighting. As you talked about churches, um, like desiring or needing to move towards a multicultural uh, lens and not wanting just to have black people fill the the pews, but actually to be seen, heard, and loved. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for churches to actually hire minority leaders and um, actually like recruit them and retain them, but then also yeah. for those minority, minority leaders, how do you encourage them? Yeah, you know, so so... Thank God for us. That's not really an issue for us. Um, but when I am um, brought in to be a consultant or I teach and I train, the first thing that I say this is, is before you try to hire minority staff, who are the minorities that eat at your dinner table? Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, what, what minority friends do you babysit their kids? Mm-hmm. What, what minorities pour into you and teach mm-hmm. you and direct mm-hmm. you and guide you? Who, what minorities do you seek wisdom from? Like we have to move away from a paternalistic relationship to mm-hmm. no, this is equal is so and, and mutual. And I'm learning from you um, as well. And on a side note, as we continue to move forward in the United States of America, the leaders of the church are going to be leaders who are skilled at surviving and thriving on the margins. And that's minorities. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like that's all, that's all that we've ever done. That's right. And so for our majority cultural brothers and sisters who ha- haven't, it's time to become students to learn how to flourish in a post-Christian context. So before you try to hire a minority, who are your minority friends? Who are, who, are, who, are, who are you getting advice from? And then secondly, understand your gifting, right? So if preaching, if in your preaching, you're not used to cross-cultural preaching, then you need to have a minority who can preach as well. So as a, as, as a black man who happens to be 23% European, but no one would know that because I'm, I'm very chocolatey, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Chocolatey. 
<laughs> I never should have gave y'all no money. <laughs> so, um, so for me as a minority, I've always had to know how to communicate to the other. I've always had to know the other story. Yeah, and so yeah. it's not hard for me to cross culturally communicate because I've had to do that to survive. That's one of the blessings of being a, a minority is you're able to adjust and to adapt. And so when you look at the apostle Paul, he grew up in Tarsus, which is Turkey. That was the intellectual capital of the Mediterranean world at that time. And learning how to make tents with his dad, he would have been around Gentiles. And, and so he yeah. was able to flow back and forth. Right. And so for white brothers and sisters, what I would say is look at college basketball coaches and NBA basketball coaches. They know how to flow cross culturally. Yeah. Yeah. That's and good. so like you look at a John Calipari, a white guy from, I think, Jersey, and his whole team is basically black and he knows how to communicate because he has learned how to walk in their shoes. Right. Um, yeah. So and, and, and then thirdly, one of the things that I hear and it goes back to the first point is, well, Derwin, I, it's hard for me to find people like you. And I'll say, well, who is in your phone book? Who are you friends with? Because mm -hmm. typically the leaders you're going to hire is people you do life with. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So when you uh, when you talk about the multi-ethnic church, uh, particularly in in predominantly white spaces, when they become someone with a, a burden and passion for that. Right. And you talk you start talking about diversity, <laughs> you know, and inclusion and equity and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the words that start to get thrown around is like. Uh, idealistic, <laughs> you know, you're starting mm -hmm. to be too idealistic, all the, all those sorts of things, because the reality of having a diverse body of people come together, isn't that there becomes this uh, oasis of just happy go lucky sitting around a bonfire singing Kumbaya yeah. type stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think the, the initial mindset is that, Oh, you just want to sit around the bonfire and sing Kumbaya, pretend everything is all, all right. And it's like, no, nah, that's not the reality of it. And if you look at the scripture, Thank you. It's, it's evident that that's not the reality Thank of you. it, right? Paul yeah. writes his letters to a people who are in the midst of suffering because they're trying to do life mm -hmm. together, Thank right? Yeah. And so as we as we look at that reality, Derek, I want you to kind of talk to us about uh, what are those challenges? And you can even speak to the challenges that were obviously evident in the New Testament, first century church, but I also want you to speak to uh, some of those challenges that manifest themselves in our churches today. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I'm going to do, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a New Testament scholar. And so I have to take us back to the original context, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so in AD 49, an emperor of Rome by the name of Claudius was highly upset about what was happening in Rome. There were Jewish people going into the synagogues saying that the Messiah had risen from the dead and that Jews needed to repent and believe in him. And they were also sharing that message with Gentiles. Well, the Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah got ticked off and there were riots. And so Claudius said, all the Jews get out of Rome. 
From AD 49 to AD 53, all the Jews were kicked out of Rome, but the gospel was not kicked out of Rome. Yeah. And this time, Gentiles are coming to faith. Slaves, free, rich, poor, centurions, all types of folks. Yeah. Claudius dies in AD 54. The Jews return back to their house churches, and it's like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Who are all these Gentiles? Don't they know? <laughs> hold, hold on, no. <laughs> Yahweh is our God. We just we just yeah. let y'all in. So therefore, if you want to be a true Jew, then, man, you need to be circumcised. And I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but if I'm a grown man and some dude coming to me saying, you need to be circumcised, I'm like, hold <laughs> on, bro. Let me tell you about Jesus. He said circumcision <laughs> of the heart. And so what was happening is this, is that there was ethnic and cultural distinctions taking place. The minute you get saved does not get rid of all the baggage. And I I think this this is so important. If you're a Jewish person in the first century, what is your thought of Gentiles? 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Yeah, yeah. The Canaanites, Hittites, Zebuvites, Preservites all try to destroy you. Babylonians put you in captivity. Now you're yeah. under Roman occupation. They yeah. didn't like them because why? It, it was a people group who hurt them. And then the Gentiles didn't like being thought as unclean. And so you have all this mess. The point I'm trying to make is that's why the book of Romans was written, because Jews and Gentiles were not getting along as the new people of God. And so the gospel is the good news story of God saving a family and then teaching that family how to love each other. Yeah, Yeah, that's really good. So that's that context. In our context, we have the same things, but different labels, right? So, for example, as African-Americans, if we see an unarmed black man being shot, the first thing we don't think uh, of is evidence. The first thing we think of is our grandparents telling us about Jim Crow, segregation, lynchings, the police being a part of the KKK. And what happens is, despite the evidence, um, you just go back to that pain of of the the past. And then we know that the evidence ain't always been the true evidence. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, that's just one example of learning how to say, okay, let's take a man, I feel your pain. You, you, you know, and and also learning how to help our white brothers and sisters understand that their identity is not in the success or failure of the United States of America. Wow. That this, wow. this is all of our country. Yeah. My great, great, great grandfather, Moses Davis, fought in the Virginia 4th Cavalry, the Negro division against the Confederacy so we could have the United States of America. Mm. I have patriotism in my blood. Amen. So this is all of our country. And just like a family, if we don't point out things that need to be corrected, they're doomed to repeat themselves. But oftentimes our white brothers and sisters will hold on to, well, you can't talk about our country. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like it's like no, actually, 
Because we love our country, we want to see life, liberty, and justice for all. Yeah, yeah that's good. That's good. You know, um, and, and so we have to learn how to have grace relationships, and pastors have to be able to teach through these issues from the gospel. But if you think the gospel is only a trip to heaven when you die, then your gospel's too small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Darren, I, I want to. This this thought is right on, and it's right where I want to take us mm-hmm. next. And I hope you can flesh this out a little bit more for us. So, I was listening to a podcast episode that you were on before, and there's a quote that I heard you saying on that podcast, and it was in the flow of answering a greater question, but it was getting to this idea of fighting against Christian nationalism. Yeah. And here's, and here's what you said to it. You said, when you tie your identity into the national success of America, it leads to idolatry. Yes. Thus we cannot repent of speak the truth about (laughs) and deal with the racial and systemic injustice that black people and minorities have suffered under. Can Mm. you, flesh that out for us. And, you know, we're, we're recording this mm-hmm. episode. It's what, it's January 7th, yesterday, January 6th. Uh, we just had a storming of the national capital in Washington, DC. And I think, uh, this question written before this, this time, I, I think we can speak in that a little bit. Darren, can you do that for us? Well, you know, <laughs> I think it's uh, President Trump and his rhetoric. Uh, the roosters came home to roost. Mm. Wow. Wow. Um, you can't continue to say the election was stolen and it's a lie and believe all these um, 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 the, uh, conspiracies as such and not think people are going to take you seriously. Donald Trump did not cause what's happening in America. Yeah. Donald Trump is the overflow of mm-hmm. what's been happening, that there have been people waiting for someone like him to embolden them. Wow. And I expect wow. unbelievers to do that. I expect yeah. people who are unbelievers to, to, to do that. But when believers hitch their wagon to that, that makes me question the very foundations now, listen, Joe, Joe Biden, Obama, none of them were a savior. Mm-hmm. We're the party of the elef- uh, of the lamb, not the elephant or donkey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ethics and politics of Jesus's kingdom is vastly different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but what we've seen with the breach of the Capitol, um, sadly, if that was a Black Lives Matter protest, Breaching the Capitol, Washington, D.C. streets would run with rivers of red blood. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, Yeah. that's so true. Um, I I, I mean, goodness, man. The United States of America was overrun by a dude dressed in a Viking outfit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, can you imagine what uh, terrorists are thinking around the world? Like, we didn't know it was that easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but my main point is this sadly, and this is generations, there has been a commingling of American nationalism and Christianity going hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And that is an idol 
that has created this monstrosity that we have now. Cause I can remember becoming a Christian in the late nineties and Bill Clinton was like the worst thing ever and morality and character mattered. But then when Donald Trump came along, it didn't even matter. Like the man said, I, he was like, I didn't pay a porn star. And then the next one was like, yep, I paid a porn star. Mm-hmm. And, and so for a political victory, we have sacrificed our collective witness. Hmm. And, so, and so, yeah, so I think for a lot of people, their identity is tied into the success or failure of American. It's become an idol. Um, sadly, from my old former way of life, and Drew Brees apologized about this, but when Drew Brees says, when I see the American flag, I see, you know, relatives dying for it and all that. And yeah, well, what, yeah. do you, what, what do you think I see when I see it? Mm-hmm. I'm going back to the Civil War. I see Moses Davis, my fourth granddad, fighting against the Confederate. A Confederate flag wow. was yeah, yeah. being carried in the U.S. Capitol. Wow. The Confederate yeah. didn't even want to be a part of America. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. treasonous. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so, like, we have to have a bigger narrative than just my narrative. We're, That's good. All of us have been brought here or came here except for the Native Americans. Yeah. But beyond yeah. all of that, most importantly, because our identity is rooted in Christ, mm-hmm. our brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ should trump political allegiances. Mm-hmm. Did you catch That's the really pun? Good. Got yeah. that pun, man. That was that was, that was good. Derwin, it's it's uh it's easy to see. Well, to some eyes, it's easy to see the uh the rise of Christian nationalism. It's easy to see the the pitfalls of Christian nationalism. But for so many, it's invisible. <laughs> you know, to to some extent, at least invisible enough to still see things like yesterday happen, um, which. I believe, unfortunately, won't be the last time, right? And so this, this, this thing, mm-hmm. this thing will continue to perpetuate. Darren, help us. Can can you speak to uh, how can we minister in a way? How can we be prophetic in a way and speak even to our white brothers and sisters? How can they open their eyes in a way uh, where they see the devastation of tying these two things so closely together? Well, I, you know, I th- I think the better that I can model love for, for myself, mm-hmm. um, the better that that's going to take place. Like yeah. it's not my job to open anybody's eyes. It's the Holy spirit's job. Yeah. yeah. And so my calling is to steward and to shepherd the people under my care mm-hmm. through yeah. my writing and preaching and doing opportunities like this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I I'm I'm just a man. I ain't got no power to change anybody's heart. I'm just yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna cast seeds and fling them everywhere, and I'm going to sleep. Yeah, yeah. That's good. On the the heels of that, Duran, what would you say to this question? What will be the lack with the lack of multi ethnic or multi generational churches in the future? If that was to occur, how will this affect the Christian witness in the future? We are going to lose a generation of Generation Z. Mm-hmm. 
because they're not going to tolerate that. And yeah. we're going to, we're going to lose them to the far left progressive wing, or we're going to lose them to the far right crazy wing. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Both of those wings are unregenerated perspectives. It's either going to be crazy liberal or crazy conservative. And it's important that mm-hmm. there's a holistic Jesus centered gospel shaped Mm. multi-ethnic movement of oneness where discipleship and justice and evangelism are all commingled in a beautiful recipe of grace. Mm. Um, Also, what's going to take place is research shows that homogeneous churches promote political division. Hello. Mm -hmm. uh, Promote economic division and racist attitudes. Whenever we stay stuck in silos of ignorance, we perpetuate those ignorances. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And so to to combat that during, you're saying, man, the the multi-ethnic church will actually be foundational with Christ as the head, where there's unity and diversity coming together uh, under Mm -hmm. the one lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, He is the only one that can break those barriers. Yeah, that's kind of what the Bible says. And I believe that. I don't, I don't think the Bible has been read intently enough with a desire to actually obey it enough. Yeah, that's good. And so I'm always going to press people into uh, the beauty of the gospel to live that out because the Apostle Paul says that Christ is our peace, um, that he tore down the dividing wall and he did it through his body. He killed the hostility. He took Jew and Gentile and made them one. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like, like, I actually believe that. So to be one means this I have to pit down my preferences and pick up my cross. If everybody yeah. put down their preferences and pick up our crosses, uh, mm. we could, we could see that happen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and I don't mean that just for, uh, white brothers and, yeah. sisters. I, I mean that for all Christians because I meet some black folks who are very yeah. racist. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's good. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dura, man, this is, uh, so good. So clear. So convicting, man. Uh, so grateful, indebted, man, to have you on this podcast and take this time with us. Thank you so much. Well, it's been my honor and privilege. Appreciate it. It was a great show. I wish y'all continued success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, thank you guys for tuning in to the Ambassador Podcast. Tracy and Pastor Derwin, man, you guys have been great. Uh, I'm looking forward to discussing more topics in the coming weeks. We hope for you listeners that this will have been a helpful resource, and we encourage you to visit our website at www.weareambassador.com, where we'll be uploading a consistent stream of resources for you to dive into. If you're interested in any books by Derwin Gray, we do have some on our resource page, so go ahead and head there. Uh, If you have any questions or concerns, sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive frequent updates and an opportunity to send in questions or pursue conversation with us. Man, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. See ya. Peace. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Ambassador Podcast. If you would like to hear more episodes or get more information about the Ambassador, please check out our website at www.weareambassador.com.